Thank you for listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. I'm your host, Danny V. We love to talk about books, the writing process, and why authors write. Today, co-host, children's author, and producer Adrian Beck and I chat to best-selling author of Australia's number one book, Matthew Riley. If you want to catch the video, head to the Words and Nerds Facebook page or the Abbey's Bookshop Facebook page. Enjoy this episode. Welcome to Words and Nerds, tiny podcast, big ideas. Now here's your host, Danny V. And of course, we have trusty co-host, children's author, TV producer, Adrian Beck in the co-host chair as well. Hello, Adrian. Hello, Danny, but that's not it. Look who else we've got here on this very special live streamed episode of Words and Nerds. Hey. It's Matthew it's... Riley. Hey there, everybody. Hello, Hi. Matthew. Hey, Adrian. Hey, Danny. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Is it me. late at night over there? Have we kept you up? I can see light outside. So that maybe that's it's not the middle of the night in, uh, in LA. No, uh, 4 p.m. Uh, Friday afternoon here in, in LA. Beautiful, and it's beautiful. Saturday brunch for us, so and it's raining in Sydney, so it's a perfect chance to grab your cuppa and sit down with Matthew and have a chat. I reckon. That's right. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, anyone who joins in on the conversation here uh, leaves us a comment with a question for Matthew. Matthew said, "Any questions? Fine. Uh, he'll answer anything. There's nothing yeah. off off limits here." Um, Anyone who does join the conversation goes into the chance for a giveaway, don't they, Danny? They absolutely do. I've got the books on this side of me here ready to be given away. <laughs> How exciting is that? <laughs> uh, now, Matthew, we should get started by asking you the sure. obvious question. Obviously, we've got, uh, uh, we've got copies of the book and we're so excited to be reading them. There's six in the series so far. Yep. It started all those years ago with Seven Ancient Wonders and The Two Lost Mountains has just come out. I wonder if you could, um, you could tell us a little bit, for those that haven't yet uh, checked it out, what is The Two Lost Mountains specifically all about? Well, what I can start by saying is if you're going to count down, never start at seven. You should start <laughs> at like three. Seven, seven's a lot of books. And, uh, and you find out after you've written a couple that, People really, really, really want you to count down all the way. So <laughs> start, start at three for any of those authors out there wanting to uh, kick off a series. Uh, so, yeah, so we've, my hero in this series is a, a guy named Jack West Jr. And uh, he started in Seven Ancient Wonders uh, and he was chasing down the Seven Wonders of the Ancient World and he's sort of like Indiana Jones on steroids and... As we've counted down through Six Sacred Stones, Five Greatest Warriors, Four Legendary Kingdoms, Three Secret Cities, he's been battling a group of shadow uh, royal families who rule the world from the shadows. And basically, the, the whole universe is heading towards a giant big crunch. And he has to solve some ancient problems in order to allay that. And as we kick into the Two Lost Mountains, uh, he is well behind these pretty nasty villains. Uh, in the series and so we're rocketing towards the final book the one something something uh, but <laughs> let's just let's just say there are mountains there are some big chasms that people fall into so there'll be lots of screaming and falling and explosions <laughs> as expected yeah the typical Matthew Riley formula there I think isn't it <laughs> you know I I realized years ago that when any of my books they start with lots of objects and by the end of the book Nearly all of them are destroyed. Planes, buildings, <laughs> cars. 
mountains now. So. Yeah. That's fantastic. That's, that's the that. formula. That's the formula. Start with stuff and blow it up. Well, number one book in Australia this year. Don't change that formula. Yeah, no, very, I've been very, very fortunate. And uh, uh, I'd been told actually that the pre-orders for Two Lost Mountains were through the roof. And believe it or not, even with uh, Victoria, uh, only just coming out of lockdown, but when the book came out, they were still largely locked down. Mm. Even with a third of the bookstores in Australia closed because of Victoria, uh, sales for Two Lost Mountains were up like 15% on Three Secret Cities. So people are reading, which is wonderful. Yeah, yeah. it's fabulous. Absolutely. I am coming to you from uh, lockdown Victoria or we've yeah. just... Um, We've just come out of it. But, yeah, I can, I can say that reading has definitely been something that we've all turned to whilst we've been in oh. lockdown, which is, which is kind of like one of those funny silver linings to this strange situation that we're all in. Well, I think it, it, the, release of, uh, the release of such great books has been the only good thing about 2020. Mm. Well, <laughs> and for, for, people, for people who read my stuff, uh, if there is a, a theme in all of my books, whether it's the Jack West series or the Scarecrow books or the Standalones, their escapism, and I think more than anything right now, especially with movies off the agenda, escapist books are going to go a long way. Mm, absolutely. absolutely. I was going to ask because your books, you know, they are great escapism. I think that's what we've really needed in 2020. As a writer, do you write to escape reality sometimes as well? Absolutely, yes. And it's why even from the get-go with Seven Wonders, I started I'm travelling the world in my mind and mm -hmm. I... Uh, Jack travels to all these faraway places from the pyramids at Giza to Stonehenge to Easter Island uh, and everywhere in between, uh, the wastes of India in the four legendary kingdoms. And uh, to me, this is escaping. Even in, in Two Lost Mountains, and it's, it's not a big spoiler, there's a, there's a big scene at Mont Saint-Michel in uh, north, northwestern France. And I went there in 2003 on a trip and... This is just the most amazing place you've ever seen. And to write about it in Two Lost Mountains was me escaping back into my memories. And that, that is definitely the case. I write to escape as well. Mm, absolutely. That's great. Now, as I said before, uh, Matthew and Danny, we've got, uh, we're live streaming, obviously. We've got comments coming through and oh. uh, someone's going to take home a copy or a couple of people are going to take home a copy of your latest book, The Two Mountains, which is very exciting. So, Danny, I know you've got a question to get to, but maybe I could just get a couple of okay. comments underway just to prove to the audience that we are actually going to ask Matthew these questions. <laughs> sure. Um, uh, Nathan J. Phillips says, morning. Holden Shepherd says, you. G'day, Danny, Adrian and Matthew. Uh, and Nadi says, good morning, nerds, which is <laughs> nice. Now, here's Hello. an actual question from Stuart White. So without spoilers, Scarecrow, are we going to see him and the team again? Oh, we're getting right into the nitty-gritty. Right into it. Here, Matthew. Uh, so eventually, yes. But once I sort of jumped back into Jack West with Four Legendary Kingdoms and Three Secret Cities, I was sort of committed to finishing it. Um, those who have read the recent Jack books uh, will pretty much realise that three, two and one are, pr are really just one big story. So Scarecrow will return, but I will have to conclude uh, the Jack West series with the one something something, which I am uh, deep into right now. And one of the pluses of, I suppose, everything shutting down this year is I've had a lot more time to write and I'm on schedule to finish it a year earlier. So... Fingers crossed Ooh. it could come out next year instead of two years' time. 
So, How good's I, that? We don't have to so wait, Danny. Is, yeah, so no Scarecrow yet, but hopefully we'll get the big concluding books sooner rather than later. I like to hear those good news stories out of this really awful year. So that is one of them. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, Matthew, I loved the opening of this book. And we're not going to give away any spoilers. That's why I've started with the opening. But it's one of the best yeah. openings I've read. And I read a lot of books. <laughs> and I think it's one of the okay. reasons is you just don't shy away from the gore and the visuals. And in terms uh, of writing process, I wanted to ask you, how much do you plan the gore and the action, but how much of it just comes as you're writing and you get this great idea and you just go, yeah, this is how it needs to open or this, what, this is what needs to be in there? Uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of planning. Uh, in, in my life meeting other authors, I've found actually there are two kinds of novelists out there, happy ones and miserable ones. And the, um, <laughs> the happy ones plan, and I'm a, I'm a planner. Um, in terms of the gore, you're right. Uh, you know, page one, it's not a big spoiler to say that, you know, one of our characters wakes up on the steps of St Basil's Cathedral in Moscow uh, with two headless nuns sitting next to her. <laughs> it's pretty gruesome image right at the start. And... There are a couple of reasons behind it. Um, the beginning of a book always has to really smack the reader right between the eyes. Mm. I, I think storytelling has changed. And even in the 22 years I've been writing professionally, Ice Station came out in 1998. I think the pace of books and the pace of movies and television shows has increased. And you don't have the time to ease into a story now. You need to seize the reader's attention from the get-go. The second thing is, is the gore. Um, I, I'm very aware that the books do have, you know, quite sort of uh, graphic violence in them and hopefully you see that I look like a pretty well-adjusted guy. But I, <laughs> I've always felt, even going right back to the early books like Contest, Ice Station and Temple, that death and, and violence had to be really awful because I want my readers to be cheering for these characters. And, mm -hmm. you know, if you open the book and on page one you find one of your heroes sitting next to two beheaded nuns that's pretty gruesome and people go oh my gosh I hope that doesn't happen to the characters that I love so death has to be something to be feared and unfortunately yeah I have to make it quite graphic and horrible mm. that's the reason yeah, but it obviously grabs your attention as well which is um, a terrific way to bring us yeah. into that second last book uh, just on that we've got some questions about um about the graphic nature uh, that are coming through. Uh, Stuart's asking, do you sit and giggle when you kill beloved characters off? Know what the reader's <laughs> reaction is going to be? I love the new one, by the way. Yeah, how do you feel about when you when you have those characters and you know that they're heading for one of those gruesome endings? Yeah, so obviously there was a very big one that I did back at a book called Scarecrow, and I, <laughs> I still get angry Facebook comments to this day, <laughs> seven, 17 years later. Wow. Uh, and that I knew when I wrote that one that it was going to anger a lot of people. But that scene, I think, arguably set up my career. That mm. killing off that character who was so beloved. Uh, and no, I didn't giggle. No, I, I actually mm. sort of stepped back from my computer and, and said to myself, can I really do this? Mm. And I said, yes. And as I said, not, not a day or a week goes by when I don't get somebody write to me and say, I still can't believe what you did in Scarecrow. And so what I've done since is I, I try not to overuse it. You can't just yeah. kill off characters, much love characters willy-nilly. It has to be a, a big moment, a moment that will shake the hero, whether it's Jack West or Scarecrow, 
Uh, and so, so no, I don't, I don't giggle, but I do plan it out. I'm ready to do it and I'm ready to do it at certain points when I really want, I really want the reader to be despairing at these moments and think, oh my gosh, Jack West has nowhere to go and he's losing somebody who's dear to him. Yeah. Mm. It's a little bit like um, Game of Thrones where you never quite knew whether characters as much, uh, you could be totally invested in some of these lead characters, but then they just might be killed off at any point. And it sort of keeps the readers on, on their toes, don't you think? Well, I think Game of Thrones, um, you know, basically set a new standard for mm. that. And uh, in terms of getting into the sort of the nitty gritty of writing, is the nitty gritty of the writing is that it takes a long time to set up all these characters. So it's not in the author's best interest to kill off these characters who have a lot of history behind them because once they're gone, they're gone. Mm. And mm. George R. R. Martin in Game of Thrones was so ruthless. And, I mean, mm. The Red Wedding was simply sensational that mm. these characters have basically found happiness. Sorry, that's my dog. Hi, dog. These <laughs> characters have found <laughs> happiness. And then you get this, this sudden just carnage and three or four top characters are suddenly killed. And no so one's breaking into your house, are they, Matthew? Uh, <laughs> live podcasting. <laughs> hey, he can join she, us if he wants. She, she? Is, she is a she is a 16-year-old Labradoodle oh, who beautiful. occasionally appears on my uh, on my social media. And she is she is my little wingman when I'm writing. Oh, uh, she beautiful. she's settled down, but she's just growling at the world now. That's all right. I'm just so, making sure no, you're not in danger. You know, I don't want to keep the live stream going if there's someone breaking into your house. We don't no. mind stopping. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, when you when you kill off characters, it's not something you can do easily. You've mm. built up those characters, and even that famous scene that I that notorious scene I did in Scarecrow. You know, that character had been around for two and a half books and we'd invested a lot of time in, in the character. So it's not something you do lightly, um, but I think George R.R. R. Martin showed that he had such a wealth of characters mm. that he could, you know, cut a sway through them, which he did. But mm. you're right in saying that you don't do it too often because, you know, you need it to really impact the writer because, you know, I loved Game of Thrones, but once you got through the seasons, you just didn't really, you couldn't really love any character because you knew that they were probably all going to die. <laughs> At least we've got that element of surprise. Well, I think I'm a real, I've actually analysed that last season of Game of Thrones, you know, as I Mm. barrel towards concluding a series, which I've never done before. I've never concluded a series. I mean, the Scarecrow books could largely just keep on going. But Mm. with Jack, I started at seven and I said I'd count down and number one will be the last one. And Mm. one of the interesting things about the final season of Game of Thrones, which was not well received, was that sort of the characters had nowhere else to go. All we were waiting for was who's going to die. And, mm. and that's a funny thing that, you know, a character's death, uh, as you say, it has to resonate not just with the reader, but it has to shake the hero. If mm. it doesn't shake the hero, then it's a wasted death. And I, mm. I'm, a bit, I'm not a fan at all of, you know, those characters we see say, you guys run, I'll go and sacrifice myself. Uh, you know, we've been mm. there, done that. That that's, mm. doesn't cut it anymore. Mm. <laughs> that's really interesting. Uh, we had a question come out before about who was the hardest character to kill off. I assume it was that character we were just speaking about uh, just before. Yeah, no, I, you know, uh, there, there are a couple in Two Lost Mountains which were very difficult. Um, yep. 
obviously the one in Scarecrow was was a tough one, but necessary. Mm. Um, and I, I, I honestly, I I got hate mail for that. I got people <laughs> write to me saying they threw my book against the wall. They said they'd never read my stuff again. And oh, no. and I I took that as you know that that's why I do what I do. And mm. if I got that emotional reaction from people, then I was doing the right thing. And some people wrote to me and said they cried. And I'm sure there are a lot of people out there who think, who would cry reading a Matthew Riley book? But if you get that response, you've, you've done your job well. Absolutely. Yeah. I think there are many yeah. people out there who have those responses to your book, and that's why it's number one in Australia this week. It's fantastic. It is fantastic. Hey, uh, just speaking of Game of Thrones, we've got one question to come through, and I know, Danny, you're, you're, you've got a special guest lined up who's just waiting to come in and ask a question. Yes. But um, there was one question on Game of Thrones, which is sort of similar to what you were talking about, Matthew. Speaking of Game of Thrones, as you approach the conclusion of a series, do you feel any pressure to please anyone? I know you're writing that last one. Yeah. You touched on endings just before. How is the pressure going? And do you have a plan, and are you confident? Yes. <laughs> yes, so I... I set myself a really big task in the last book and uh, I can confidently uh, tell my readers that it does have the single largest action scene I've ever written. Wow. Um, I can't tell you what it is, but you've got to go big. If you're going to get to the last book, it's got to be the biggest. It's got to be the most gigantic. It's got to have the biggest action and it's got to have the biggest payoff. And mm. I will be taking readers to the edge with it. I It's here beside me. If this camera on my iPad flipped around, you would literally see my notes and my big <laughs> giant sheets of cardboard with the whole structure of- Oh, I wanna see it. <laughs> Come and on, I'm up, open the window. I'm, Let I'm the wind to, blow it over. That's right, if there's a mirror here, I'm up to page 330. So I, I feel pressure, but I've, I have looked at TV shows actually that mm. successfully concluded their series. And I tried to sort of distill what they did right. And mm. there are shows like, for instance, off the top of my head, Breaking Bad. Mm -hmm. it, it concluded in a way that audiences loved. And so I had a look and I thought, what do they do? And I won't tell you what I think they do because I'll, I'll put that into the book. <laughs> but the goal is, well, without being negative, the goal is not to do what Game of Thrones did. <laughs> the goal, the goal is to make readers feel that this journey, this epic journey has been satisfying and worthwhile. Yeah. And I ultimately think that comes down to a full analysis of the hero, of, mm -hmm. of Jack West Jr. and what makes him tick. And there'll be more about him in this book. And actually a lot of little clues which have been threaded since Seven Wonders and Six Stones way, way back, uh, which will be revealed in this book. So is it fair to say that Jack West Jr. is not going to give it all up and become a lumberjack like Dexter did? <laughs> <laughs> no spoilers. Yeah. You know. <laughs> no lumberjacking? <laughs> early, early in my career, I had people say, when do your characters stop and eat and when do they stop and sleep? Yeah. And I'm like, I don't care. I, I, <laughs> I don't read a book to say that, you know, Indiana Jones stopped and slept yeah. and then he woke up and had some wheat picks. I mean, mm. I just said, listen, it happens when, when, we're, when we're looking at other characters, that's when he's going to sleep. Um, no, the only thing you'll see him doing, uh, in, as you've seen in Three Secret Cities and Two Lost Mountains and Into the One, 
which are essentially just one big story, you will see him running his butt off. <laughs> he is, he's working hard. And the, I'm pretty sure if he survives, what he'll want is just a rest. <laughs> As will you probably. <laughs> you know, we... I, I'm, when I conceived the series with Seven Wonders, but mainly with Six Sacred Stones, when I decided to do the second book, it was going to be a big series. I, I said, I want to go all around the world and connect Stonehenge and the pyramids and Easter Island and the Mayan temples and the Inca temples. And by the end of the one, I'll have covered all of them. And then it'll be time to do a new series and do something different, either jump back to Scarecrow or create a whole new hero uh, in something just a little different. So mm. I, I will be done. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Now we have someone okay. waiting in the green room, a huge fan of yours, and I, I believe you know him as well. So shall we bring yeah. him in, Adrian? Yes, here he is. It's uh, Jack Heath Jr. No, just Jack Heath. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Jack. Hey, Jack. Congratulations on the book, mate. It's fantastic. It's um, the best one yet, I reckon. Um, hey, you've you. answered a lot of the questions that I had already, but I, uh, I, I was going to ask, over the years I've seen you give a lot of interviews, and one thing that you almost always end up saying is that the advantage of writing a novel as opposed to, say, making a movie or a TV show is that you don't have a, a budget. There's no insurance. There's no producers you have mm. to deal with. You don't have to hire stunt people and clean up the mess after all the, the action scenes that you've written. Yeah. Um, bearing all that in mind, given your style, what are you doing in Hollywood? Like, I'm, <laughs> I'm not being sort of... Uh, I don't mean for that question to sound aggressive, but it must feel so limiting to suddenly have to deal with all that stuff that you've been successfully avoiding over the years. No, it's it's a very good question. Um, so I, I, I've been living here in Los Angeles for about five years now. Um, I moved here to do more movie stuff. I have a couple of projects in the works and one of which I'd like to direct uh, because when you're a novelist, you're the storyteller and in the movie world, it's the director who's the storyteller. Mm. The good thing... You're absolutely right. For years I said that, you know, my books have no budget and that's why I can blow up aircraft carriers and have giant car chases and smashing jets and dragons throwing pieces of freeway around at buildings. Um, the good news is the visual effects have caught up and now it's actually possible to do these things. And mm. funnily enough, the more I've been here in L.A., I recently optioned the Jack West series to a big company called Spyglass Media Okay. And they want to do a television show. I used to sell movie rights. Now I sell television rights more mm. often. And for a company like this, I needed to come to the States because I couldn't, they couldn't make Seven Wonders or the Jack West series uh, on the scale uh, that I would hope for in Australia. I had to come here and meet people here and have them get to know me. And it was only by coming here that that deal occurred. And it's only by coming here that I might have the chance to direct uh, this film project that I, that I wrote, uh, an original screenplay that I did. So that's why I'm here. Um, it's, it's for work. It's for work. Mm -hmm. And it's actually been nice. I've made a lot of good friends who are directors and screenwriters of big action stories. Um, mm -hmm. Guys like John Rogers and Stuart Beattie and Jay Lavender, uh, you know, seasoned screenwriters. Uh, the, direct, the Australian director, Philip Noyce, who directed Patriot Games in Clear and Present Danger. I know Philip very well now. And these are all things which help. Um, but in the end, you know, to come right back to your question, 
the book is always better than the movie. I mean, <laughs> it's you, you're the director, you're the reader. When people come to a book signing, and, and you've seen them in, in Canberra, um, when people come to a book signing, they've made, I've made a connection with them and they've made a connection with me. It's my words on the page that they're reading and imagining. And nobody imagines that book like each reader, like you. It's different for everybody. And a movie in its own way can spoil that because it sort of settles the argument. So in that regard, um, I'd love to see movies made. If it drives more people to the books, uh, that's the thing I'm, I'd be most happy about um, because a movie is a nice big advertisement for your books, but it's not the be-all and the end-all. Right. And Hollywood, Hollywood is insane too, so... <laughs> There's that. There's that. Yeah. Have time for one more question? Yeah, absolutely, Jack. I was just going to say the um, the scale of this series, um, not just in terms of the the action scenes and the cast of characters, but the amount of time that you've put into it. The Seven Ancient Wonders came out in two thousand five, I think, mm. from memory, something like That's that. Right. And you've got characters like Aloysius Knight, who date back even further than that to books like Scarecrow. I guess that's 2003. What are some of the challenges involved in, A, hanging on to readers for that long? Because you've only got these books coming out kind of once every three years on average, whereas um, presumably there's pressure from publishers to put them out every one year. But you've also got these characters ageing, like Lily starts yeah. out as a little girl, she's 20 now. Uh, how difficult is that? And if I can add one more caveat to it, presumably you're a better writer now than you were 17 years ago. You've learned so much, yeah. but it's a bit hamstrung by still having to, to deal with these characters that you came up with when you were more inexperienced. Gosh, okay, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, <laughs> yeah, sorry. Jack no, said no, one question. Right. No, but... it's all right. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was like five <laughs> questions. That's another. Well, I'll, I'll answer it in a couple of ways. First, by answering about, say, Scarecrow. Um, Scarecrow doesn't age. I decided a few years back with Scarecrow and Ice Station and Area, and with Scarecrow, it was Ice Station Area 7 Scarecrow, and then Scarecrow and the Army of Thieves. I just said, I'm not going to put dates on Scarecrow books anymore. No years. Mm. So I don't want Scarecrow to grow old. He will forever be in his early 30s. And one very eagle eyed reader uh, wrote to me and came to a book signing. Uh, for four legendary kingdoms where I had the scarecrow crossover with Jack West. And that eagle-eyed reader said, Hey, 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 scarecrow should be older because he was in Bosnia when, you know, before Ice Station. And I had to say to that reader, You are correct, but Scarecrow's not aging. Whereas mm. Jack West is. And we did have, and this takes me to the next point, that the Jack West series, Seven Wonders, Six Stones, and Five Warriors were, as you say, in 2005, 2007, 2009. And then I took an eight-year break, seven-year break, and Four Legendary Kingdoms was 2016. And so I had everybody in the Jack West series aged seven or eight years. And it opened up my mind. It gave me more stories. It even made it more epic uh, in its own way. Lily is no longer a 12-year-old. She's now a 20-year-old. Albie is no longer a 12-year-old. He's 20. It mm. just made the series better. And that, to answer your question, took away any potential, I don't know, staleness. Um, for myself as an author, um, I am never happier than when I'm writing. Writing is an addiction. Creation 
is an addiction. It's a high. And when you have something at the end of the day that you didn't have at the start of the day, especially when it's a big action scene or a, a huge twist. And I actually, I just wrote a huge twist in the one today. And I've been thinking about that for years. For the last three years, I've been thinking about that twist. <laughs> and I finally got to write it. While you're doing that, it's fun. It's like... Mm. It's like eating chocolate cake for every meal. I, I, <laughs> I can't believe I get paid to do it. And so the final answer to your question, I think, which is something I've said before, is that I think it's incumbent upon authors like me to keep up with the readers. Mm. If, if readers are saying, if they say, oh, that author, he or she is not writing them the way they used to, I actually think the answer is they're writing them exactly the way they used to, but the audience has outgrown them. The audience is evolving. The audience mm. that read Ice Station in 1998 has now seen the Lord of the Rings movies, watched Game of Thrones, seen mystery shows like CSI. Remember mm. CSI? I mean, the mysteries mm. in a single episode of CSI were awesome. Mm. People asked me once, would I write legal thrillers? And I'm like, well, John Grisham's done a ton of them. And TV shows like The Practice and LA Law have done so many great legal thrillers, I don't know if I could come up with something that they haven't already done. So it's up to me to answer your question, to make sure that each book, and you look at the Jack West books from Seven Wonders to Two Lost Mountains, there is more in Two Lost Mountains, even though it's shorter than Seven Ancient Wonders. The audience demands a really dense, action-packed, character-filled story. And I'm the audience, so that's that's what I'd like to read. So I just mm. figure out I like it, then people will too. <laughs> Thank you very much. Is that a good answer? That answer your question? <laughs> Absolutely. And I can't wait for the one something something. Thank you. <laughs> actually, actually, I should I should add, as the stories have gone on, once we once we ticked through Four Kingdoms and Three Secret Cities, there's far more character. I think I've got better with character. Early in my career, I was all about the action. And increasingly with Jack West and with Lily, there's so much character to be had there uh, that if I want to keep audiences interested, I have to keep making them love these characters. And, mm. and that's what I've really tried to do. Mm. Interesting. Thank you. Very interesting. Thank hey, thank you, Jack. No Good on you, Jack. Work, Jack. <laughs> Uh, awesome to have Jack with us. Well, so was. We love yeah. Jack, friend of the podcast, and we, we knew he was a big fan, so we invited him on. <laughs> now, you mentioned character and, you know, balancing character and action, and I really like that because with this book, even though heaps of action, heaps of gore, heaps of adventure, everything that we love, at, a, at its heart it is about love and loyalty and friendship and choosing yeah. to do the right thing and spending your life with people who you call family. And I was actually going to ask you, is that a deliberate balance that you were trying to, um, you know, trying to get in this novel, which it seems like it was? Yes, it, it certainly is. And, uh, you know, I've got this, got the poster for Seven Wonders behind me here. And when I kicked off Seven Wonders and created Jack, Jack was, Jack West was supposed to be this hard-boiled, uh, you know, adventurer, former soldier. And it's the arrival of this little baby girl into his life that completely changes him. And she, I love the notion that you can't fool a kid, you know, and she renames all these hard-bitten soldiers, people with names like Bloody Mary and Saladin and Gunman, and she calls them Pooh Bear, Stretch, and, 
you know, other kiddie names and and they stick and it disarms you. And, yeah, that's I, I think the team has become even more uh, connected. And I even had a reader the other day. There's a there's a wonderful pilot character, part of the team called Sky Monster. And Sky Monster, he had a great run in uh, Four Legendary Kingdoms where he's normally the guy in the plane, he's a little overweight, and in Four Kingdoms he's thrust into the action with Jack. And I had a whale of a time putting him into those scenes. And nowhere in the books have I ever mentioned what his actual name is. Um, <laughs> but you will find out what his name is. And, uh, yes, it all comes down to character. Uh, and that is why I think people turn the pages really quickly. The action scenes are thrilling, but if you don't have characters people love, it's just mindless action. Mm. Very, very good point. Um, thank you, Matthew. We've got heaps of co comments coming through. People sure. are really responding to this chat, so thank you for joining us this morning. We're actually also going out, not only the Words and Nerds um, Facebook site, but also Abby's Bookshop Facebook site. So we've got a lot of uh, book lovers on board, which is great. Now, here's a question here. Now, this I think this is a reference to um, all those years ago when you <laughs> got your start. Craig Kirshner says, how many buses did you ride in Sydney reading and promoting your first book? There it is there. That's it. For those who might not be familiar with this, because a lot of time has passed, what, what is that a reference to? So this is one of the original self-published copies of Contest. This is what I read on the bus. Uh, I was. I, was, uh, I love that. I... You know, in the, in the buses, I lived in Sydney then and the front seat on the bus faced the rest of the bus, so I'd sit there reading my own book. <laughs> Did you and, pull the facial expressions, Matthew, like, oh! Yeah! Wow! <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, it, was so, it was actually funny. Years after, uh, good old Bryce Courtney, who, who I met a few times, he was always really nice to me. He actually did a promotional campaign where he hired university students to wear white gloves and read his books on public buses. Uh, that was years and years after I did it with Contest. I don't think I sold a single copy doing it, but it seemed like a good idea at the time. Do you think it was like the 90s Instagram? It was. It was. That was end of 1996. There you go. So, yeah, there was, yeah, that's the... Uh, that, yeah, Instagram, no Twitter, yeah. no Amazon, no ebooks. That no. was that was old school. Yeah, that was, you were yeah. one of the how, how often I did it? I probably did it a dozen times. I yeah, love it. Bus into work in in downtown Sydney. It's gold. That's awesome. I love it. It's product placement back in the day. <laughs> um, it was that was a, one of the best decisions of my life. So I've probably <laughs> Say that. We've got a, a big question here. It's so yeah. big. We, we, it's, hard to, it's hard to fit it all in. We can only just see the top of your head in the, in the uh, live stream here, Matthew, but that's okay. Holden Shepard, who's an awesome uh, author. I have two questions. Matthew, I'm a big fan of the Jack West Jr. books and they inspire me a lot as a writer. One thing I love is that these are Aussie action adventure novels, oh. which doesn't seem that common in our local publishing sector. So the first question, after Jack West Jr.'s journey is done, do you think your next book or series will be an Aussie protagonist or set in Australia? And oh. question two, given how your success shows such a big market for action adventure, are you surprised that there isn't more? Um, so, yeah, I, I did have a little plan early on in my career. Um, uh, that the early books, Ice Station, had a U.S. Marine scarecrow as the lead. And mm. it, it came about because the story in Ice Station revolved around, you know, the power balance of the world. So it necessarily involved American troops fighting against others in Antarctica. Now, once it came time to do Seven Wonders, 
I wanted to have the small countries of the world taking on the big ones and they were going to be these ultimate underdogs. And so I'd established an international audience. Uh, iStation and Temple and Area 7 had sold to you know, a dozen countries already, Germany, Italy, America, the UK. And so I realized I had this platform to be able to create an Australian hero. And thus Jack West Jr. was born. Um, uh, it, when I'm done, would I do a, a story with an Australian protagonist in Australia? Um, not sure. Uh, again, if there's a common thread in the books, it's usually that the fate of the world is at stake or there's usually great giant stakes. Even a book like The Tournament, you know, it was mm. the question of, you know, the power plays in Europe in the 1500s. Um, something in Australia, especially if you go into the outback, is usually smaller. Um, and for me, as we said earlier, the books are an escape. And so I kind of like to escape to faraway <laughs> places around the world when I write them. And mm. it, when I've written about Australia with Jack West, it's interesting that I, he's had two farms in Western Australia and in the Simpson Desert. And to me, that's escapist. That is the wilds of Australia. And that is me mm. getting out of my comfort zone. So to answer your question, I'm unlikely to write something in the streets of Sydney or Melbourne because I know them, El Brisbane, because I know them very, very well. Um, the second question is, why is Action Adventure not bigger? That's a really interesting question. And there's, you know, there are all sorts of answers to that. I was born in the 70s, so I grew up watching 80s action movies. So <laughs> they were a huge influence on me. Die Hard, Predator, Aliens, The Hunt for Red October. Um, mm. I think there's another answer to that, that a lot of Australian fiction is driven, is driven by, by grants and government grants, and yeah. somehow they, look, they see action-adventure as not worthy, that it's mm. just somehow crassly commercial, um, mm. which clearly I, I do not agree with. Um, the other thing I find is that, you know, maybe I'm just a bit of an outlier. I just, I just love it. I immersed myself in it. and. I, you can't fool the reader. Readers know that you're an expert. That's why I won't write a romance or I won't, I won't write a book of poetry. Readers of that stuff know their stuff mm. and they can, they can spot an expert and they can spot a fraud in an instant. So um, why, there, why there aren't more action-adventure books in Australia, possibly because of the grant system, possibly just because the influences of the people writing books. Mm. That's very interesting. But having said all that, I would read a romance written by you, Matthew Riley. So uh, I'd like to see how that came out. Or a book of poetry because, you know, I think by the end it'd, there'd be lots of gore in your poetry. Everything yeah. would be exploding. So I'd be down for that poetry. Yeah, I, I could see myself doing some sort of haiku. And then he, <laughs> and then he put down his glock. Something like oh. that. You know, something like that. Yeah, you need to find a word that rhymes with explosion. <laughs> well, haikus don't have to rhyme, Adrian. Well, there you go. Even better. <laughs> I, um, we've got heaps of comments coming through. And, uh, sure. and Danny, you, you're I doing a great giveaway them. for some of your best comments. Uh, is that right? Absolutely. What, are the, what, are the, what could the lucky winners get? Well, they're going to get a copy of Matthew Riley's new book, obviously. The, lost, <laughs> the Two Lost Mountains. There it is right there. It's the number one book in the country. So keep those comments coming through. We've just got a few more minutes with Matthew before he has to get back to writing the, the one something something. Right. <laughs> Great. <laughs> but, I, should, I should say that I, I, I don't tell anybody the title, not even my publisher. 
until right. I deliver the book. So she receives the book via email and it has the title in the email. And so when it was Two Lost Mountains or Three Secret Cities, she gets an email around January which says, you know, The Two Lost Mountains by Matthew Riley. And mm. so it's something that I like to sort of, it's mine just for, mm. for at least a while. Uh, nobody knows it. Uh, not my friends, not my brother, not my publisher, and they, they leave me be. And you know that from the very beginning before you start writing? Usually, yes. Sometimes mm -hmm. I wait. Sometimes it comes to me during the story. But uh, for Three Secret Cities and Two Lost Mountains and The One, I sort of, sort of knew what I wanted to do. How interesting. We'll have to wait and see. Uh, now, I want, to, um, I want to use this opportunity in a blatant um, appeal to you to write a sequel to one of my favourite Matthew Riley books, uh, the, uh, the Great China. Uh, it's a ripper. Yeah. It's, I love this book so much. So, Matthew Riley, please, could okay. you just write another one? Just for Adrian. <laughs> I, I, I take all requests. I... <laughs> The, the ones that are standalones that get no sequels like Contest, Temple and So Far Great Zoo, it's only because I haven't come up with a good enough idea to do a sequel. <laughs> sequel the sequel's got to be better. The sequel's got to do something that the first one didn't do. And I really like Great Zoo. Great Zoo is just bonkers action mm. and mayhem. And mm. it's got dragons and fire and people running and people being eaten by dragons. What more could you ask for? That's great. And that's all Adrian yeah, talks right. about, so that's why you're here. <laughs> I like how you, you come up, you seem to come up with concepts like Jurassic Park on steroids, you know. So you just it, think of, I, I just think of my favourite movies and put on steroids on the back and then you've got that's a right. new Matthew Riley book. <laughs> you, know, it, you could say that's right, you know. <laughs> Love it. That, We've that got heaps of faster. comments coming. That's right. We've got heaps of comments coming through. So, Danny, uh, I might just bash through a couple if that's okay yeah. with Go you. Go for it. Um, and, and then once oh, we do yeah. that, we do our famous. The DeLorean. <laughs> so uh, technically, no. I'm in the states. My DeLorean is in Canberra, and a friend yep. of mine is driving it around. So if you see it in Canberra, that's my DeLorean. Wow, <laughs> okay, good one. I'm, I'm going you to Canberra while writing. I remember you saying it fed your brain energy. I sure do. I just had a big day today. I said I was writing a big twist in the one. Mm. Uh, so I was wiped out by the end of it. So a chocolate cheesecake was had. Oh, <laughs> chocolate nice. cheesecake. Uh, all, of all your books, Matthew, which was your favourite to write? Ooh, um, Another tough question. Thanks, Anne. You know, um, in terms of which one flowed out the, the quickest and the most naturally uh, was the tournament. Um, the tournament, the I, uh, let me rephrase. To come up with an idea for one of these books, you don't just sort of sit on the beach and look at the sky and come up with the idea. You mm. read a lot. And I had read enormous amount of history about Elizabeth I, about Henry VIII, about the rise and fall of Islam, about the Catholic Church. And then I read this book about chess and cheating at chess tournaments. And I thought, what if the Sultan of the Islamic Empire invited every king in Europe to send his best chess player to compete in a tournament and there was cheating and poisoning and sex parties and <laughs> and the whole story came to me in one day and I just scribbled it all down and then all I had to do was sit down and write it. So yeah. in terms of, they're all fun to write. I enjoy the creative process and all of them, but to answer the question, that was the one which just came to me in the most organic, fluid an instantaneous way. The whole story came to me, every twist, every turn, the whole structure in one day. Mm. 
I, I still remember where I was. I was in the Blue Mountains uh, wow. just on, on a weekend away, and I was just scribbling on the hotel stationery. It's <laughs> a great story. Absolutely. Yeah. Any All more right. questions, Adrian, or are you ready for yeah, the last one? Sorry, I can be quick. I thought this might lead into that tough question that you always ask all your guests, Danny, and uh, I don't know whether Matthew's ready for it, but uh, I think he can handle it. <laughs> I reckon Matthew's ready for anything. Now, we've touched on it a little bit, but I want to dig a bit deeper, Matthew. Why do you write? Why do I write? That's a very good question. <laughs> I looked at the books I was reading and I thought there should be something faster and bigger and since nobody was writing it, I thought I would entertain myself and write it. And I wrote Contest, which was the first effort. And I enjoyed that so much, I cranked it up and wrote Ice Station. And I, I, I would say to people who want to write, definitely ask yourself the question, why are you doing it? And I was doing it to build a better mousetrap, to write a book that I couldn't find out there. But it wasn't the first one that I got it right on. I think I got it right on the second one. Mm -hmm. Great. Fantastic. That's why I write. Still do. Still do. <laughs> Fantastic question. <laughs> please Thank don't you stop. so much. Yeah, please don't <laughs> stop. And uh, you've got a number of requests for more sequels for your other books as well. Yeah. <laughs> Scarecrow, <laughs> Great Zoo. Yeah. Yep. We want more CJ. <laughs> <laughs> right, I can see that right. front and centre on your desk there, Adrian. Yep. <laughs> I'm glad, well, I'm glad. I, I love Great Zoo. It's a, they, they all have a special place in my heart because they mm -hmm. all, you know, Tournament is like my smart kid, you know, the Jack West series is like my historical kid. Great Zoo of China is just an absolute rampage of, you know, <laughs> escapist fun. It, Rebellion. It, 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 it is. It's just really fun. And even mm -hmm. I see you've got Secret Runners of New York there. Secret Runners yeah. of New York was me wanting to do a twisty turny time travel book and i still can't believe i wrote that book I, it's just i don't think i could ever do that again that was a bit like tournament the whole story sort of came to me in one rush but i'd been wanting to do a time travel story about wealth inequality in new york city and boom mm. it sort of came I find it incredible that those stories come to you in one day. Like, I just find that amazing. And I'm sure that's the envy of a lot of writers out there. No, they're the exceptions. Tournament <laughs> and Secret Runners, they're the only ones that came sort of in such a short space of time. But there was a lot of reading before that one day. Yeah. Yeah. The others took a lot more work. I've heard that before, that it might take you one day to think of it and a year to write it. But really, it's taken you 30 years of life to be able to write it. Yeah, well, if you look at my bedside table, I have books about professional poker players and history books and books on astrophysics and astronomy. You've got to fill stuff into your brain for stories to come out uh, the other side, out through your fingertips. Mm. Mm. Absolutely. Oh, there's a comment about Troll Mountain. Yay! Yes. Troll <laughs> Mountain. Paloma says, uh, thank you for Troll Mountain for the younger audience. Again. These, these are the ones I often do in between the big major books. Hover Car Racer, Troll Mountain. Um, Hell Island is the, keep, is the gift that keeps on giving. That book has got so many non-readers reading. But, yeah, Troll Mountain, often if people who read my books, they say, oh, you know, I've got an eight-year-old. And I say, well, Troll Mountain. That, you know, only violence against trolls in, in that book. So, I have an eight-year-old. I'm going to go and get it for him today. He loves it. So fantastic. <laughs> 
lot, they, lot of good le- I don't know a lot of good lessons in Troll Mountain. A lot mm. of good lessons about not following the conventional wisdom. It's a it's a good little story that one. A fractured fairy tale with a kick ass mountain. It's a really <laughs> cool mountain. What more could you want? And I love how everyone has their own favourite Matthew Riley book, isn't it? And they're all coming out through the comments. Really <laughs> it is. It's actually you discover that once you have two books out, people have a favourite. And then once you have like 16 and a bunch of standalones, my fans are awesome. They don't mind me trying new things. And mm. Tournament was a great example of that. Hover Car Racer was and Troll Mountain was as well. And I owe that to my audience um, that they know they like to try different things and they, they enjoy it too. And yes, they do sometimes great. throw your book against the wall. That's the risk you got to take. <laughs> <laughs> Plus, you do give back to your fans a lot too. You do a lot of little prequels and a lot of uh, little sort of uh, books that sort of thread two books together in between, yeah. you know, series installments and stuff. So you're actually offering a lot of free extra tidbits along the way, which is terrific too. I know that I know fans like myself. We gobble that stuff up. I'm I'm very fortunate. You know, my my fans have 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 given me a life where I can write professionally. I can write full time, and you'd be surprised. Some of the the Jack West short stories and the Roger Askin short stories. I wrote a few of those when I was on a book tour. I was mm. on tour for the tournament and I was talking about the tournament with audiences and signing books and then I was on a tour with one of the Jack West books. And so the ideas were swimming around in my head and when you're on a book tour, often you end up back in your hotel room by yourself and instead of watching, you know, sport or movies on television, I started writing the short stories and when COVID hit this year, I had a a Roger Ascom short story up my sleeve and a Jack West one. And so we released them for free. And mm. I think it's the least I can do. My readers have, you know, allowed me to write full time. So it's great to give something back and give them something back for nothing. Yeah. That's fantastic. Now, before we let you go, LA, you're in LA. <coughs> we know we've got COVID and COVID's, you know, not doing great over there. You've got an election. There's a lot going on over there. Is any of that influencing what's going into your book? Well, we've actually got a question yeah. here from Jonathan saying, is COVID <laughs> going to hit the multiverse? COVID. <laughs> yeah. You know, at the moment I would say no. I, <laughs> we've had enough. I, I think we've all had enough of it and I, I think we'd like to get the vaccine so that we can all walk around, go back to movies and not wear our masks. Um, it, it's, you know, America is so great in so many ways but, yeah, their response to COVID has has been curious. Um, <laughs> and what's made America great is this striving of the individual. And yet it's the same striving of the individual which has held back their COVID response. Um, I'm a guest in this country, so I just sort of, you know, mind my own business and um, just keep typing away. And if there's any benefit for me or for my fans which has come out of COVID is that, I had four trips cancelled, including book tours, and it's allowed me to basically get a year ahead and get writing on the one. So mm. that will should come out next year as opposed to two years, which hopefully is good news for people. Yeah, fantastic. No, it's the, yeah. the Aussie way, isn't it? We just go, we mind our own business, we do our own thing, we just get on with our yeah. lives. It's the Aussie way, isn't it? Yes, that, that's exactly right. You don't, <laughs> just, yeah, just, just, just. Stay out of it. 
<laughs> Go and eat a cheesecake. It's brilliant. That's, brilliant that's advice. Exact, that's the secret to writing by Matthew Riley. <laughs> and life, I think, yeah. not just writing, secret to life. <laughs> Matthew Riley's book, the my, my Secrets to Successful Fiction Writing, it's one page and it says chocolate cheesecake. <laughs> <laughs> and I know Adrian and I, we're on board with that. We are definitely Absolutely. on board with that. <laughs> yep. I'm going to go get some now. <laughs> oh, Matthew, I can't tell you how much of a pleasure this has been to speak with you. I mean, Adrian was super keen to get you on because he loves your book. And I'm like, really? Will Matthew Riley speak to us? And here you are. So thank you so Hi. much. It's been, a, it's been an absolute pleasure. We've had so many people excited and, and on the stream watching from here in Abby's bookshop as well. So thank you so much. And The Two Lost Mountains, I don't have to talk it up. It's number one. We already know it's an incredible action-packed book with lots of twists and turns and, and great characters. So I've loved this chat and I think we've dug really deep about a lot of things. So thank you so much for your time. It's really appreciated. Thank you very much for having me. It's been great. Thanks, Matthew. And congratulations too. Thanks a lot. I really, really pleased. I, yeah. I work I work my butt off for these books and so it's really mm. great to finally unleash it. So yeah. I'm really pleased. Thank you. And say right. hello to your doggy for us. He made a little cameo as well. Yeah, she's being a good girl now. She's <laughs> on the table there. Yeah. I love Satisfied that. with the world. Beautiful. It wouldn't be a Zoom meeting without a doorbell or a dog or a baby. I mean, we had to have something, so. It's that, it's that postman. She just has a thing about the postman. <laughs> <laughs> thank, well, thank, thank you. you. Well, let's get back to writing the one something something now. Can't wait for the one something something. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. See We're going to do the giveaway now for people watching, but we'll let Matthew get back to the book because we want it out. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Matthew. See you. Bye. Bye. I'd like to thank the friends of the podcast for promoting this event. Writing New South Wales are a wonderful organisation and they have some great opportunities for writers, so please head to their website if that's you. Westwards are also a wonderful organisation and offer lots of advice and workshops for writers. Special thanks to Abby's Bookshop in Sydney for live streaming the event with us. And our other favourite bookshops include Anna's Bookshop Around the Corner at Cronulla, Eltham Bookshop in Victoria, Better Read Than Dead in Newtown, Gertrude and Alice in Bondi, Bookface in Erina, Ballina Bookshop in Ballina and Booktopia. And a special shout out to our fellow book lovers across social media for sharing the event. Mandy Loves to Read, A Place in the Sun, Low Brew, A.K. Lee Author and J.K. and Her Books.